Friends, grace, peace, and mercy to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the bridegroom of the church, of which we are his bride. You know, we are in the Trinity season, and for the last few weeks, we've been getting practical messages of living, what I like to call uh, back to the basics. And a few weeks ago, we heard Pastor Clark talk about making God the single thing, the most important thing in your life, and making your neighbor the second most important thing. We also heard about the power of our voices, our tongue, and how it can set the world ablaze. Our lives can be changed by just something we say, and how we should use our tongues for positive and for good, not negative. We heard about the power of good works and how faith without service is not faith at all. And then last week we heard Pastor, or President, I should say, Schlechti tell us that patience is a virtue and that we should continue our steadfast faith through the difficult times that are ahead. Well, this week is no different. We have another back to basics message, and this one is from Jesus himself. It's his definition of marriage and caution against divorce. These practical messages are to help us. They sharpen our edges. They refine us. And they challenge us to reflect what does it mean to live as Christ, to live our daily life as Christians. So I want to start just by a little story in, in telling you that in a few days, my wife and I, actually it's next Sunday, we'll, we'll celebrate our 30th wedding anniversary. And I say that not to boast, well maybe a little bit, I say that to tell you that as a pastor I understand what it means to be married. I understand that there's smooth places and rough places, there's thick and there's thin. You see, pastors are not exempt from the ups and downs of marriages and all the things that are amplified by having a spouse. I always, when I'm doing my marriage counseling, tell people that marriage is proof that God has a sense of humor. <laughs> and in that jest, a few... Uh, well, gosh, a few weeks before I was married, I remember a colleague of mine at the hospital, someone many years my senior, an ER physician, came to me and he said, Doyle, I hear you're getting married. Congratulations. I'm very proud of you. He said, marriage is a fantastic institution. I hope it brings you great joy in life. And I said, thank you. And he said, Doyle, marriage is not for the faint of heart. You know that, right? I said, yes. He says, but stick with it. It's worth it. I said, thank you. And he says, you know, marriage, it's the closest you will get to heaven and hell on earth. <laughs> to which I simply said with big eyes, thank you, I think. He must be an expert. I think he was married two or three times. So. You know, St. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, said this. Marriage is a profound mystery. And I think many of us would agree because how is it that two people can come together and stay together through thick and thin for many decades? 
However, St. Paul really isn't talking about the challenge of marriage as we jest. He's talking about how the marriage between a man and a woman is similar to that of the marriage of Christ to his church. Throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, and throughout our worship service even, we often hear of Christ referred to as the bridegroom of his church, Israel. He is the spiritual head of his church, and we are his loving bride, living together under his protection, his provision. This, too, is how Scripture defines the husband's role as the head of the marriage, the spiritual head of the marriage. That doesn't mean we get to pick every vacation spot and what color to paint the house. We do that together. What it is saying is that we, husbands, are the head, the spiritual head of the family, the ones responsible for bringing Christ into the home and making sure scripture is read and prayer is spoken and that we live a way according to Christ. Through our lives, through our marriage, to Christ as he does for his people, we are reaffirmed. We take our vows at the baptismal font where our pasts are forgiven and we commit ourselves to the Lord. And then we joyfully listen to his words in scripture and serve him in our daily lives. And during Holy Communion, which we will have later today, we reference the meal as a foretaste of the wedding feast to come in heaven. The symbolism that we, the church, are united in marriage to our bridegroom, Christ. You see this profound mystery that Paul refers to. The beauty of marriage between a man and a woman is indeed like that of Christ and his church. For as he is faithful and loving and nurturing and forgiving, so should we be as well. In Genesis, as Carl just read, we are told after God made man, and all the animals, no suitable mate was found for Adam, and God took a rib from Adam's side and made woman. And when Adam awoke and looked at his beautiful wife, he said, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, meaning he and his wife were the same, made from the same bone, the same flesh, equal partners, both created in the image of God. When preparing couples for marriage, I read this passage and we talk about what equality in marriage means, about our responsibility to each other and our godly roles. We talk about how Eve was not taken out of man's head to topple over him or out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, or, but out of his side to be equal with him and under his arm to be protected by him, next to his heart to be loved by him. And for young couples learning the ins and outs of marriage, this passage sparks a lot of discussion. In Genesis, God is clear. He places man and woman together in marriage as partners to be fruitful, to multiply, to populate the earth, and to be good stewards of the earth. In return, the earth will feed them 
and shelter them and protect them. And after all this, God pauses and looks around and he says, this is very good. At the start of a traditional Lutheran wedding service, we hear these words. Now, if you've been married in the Lutheran church, just reflect, maybe close your eyes and remember this being said. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here in the sight of God and of his people to witness and bless the joining together of this man and of this woman in holy matrimony. This is an honorable estate which God himself has instituted and blessed and by which he gives us a picture of the very communion of Christ and his bride, the church. The union of husband and wife in heart, body and mind is intended by God for their mutual joy, for their help and comfort given one another in prosperity and adversity and when it is God's will for the procreation of children. Therefore, marriage is not to be entered into inadvisably or lightly, but reverently and deliberately and in accordance with the purposes for which it was instituted by God. In these words, we are reminded that this institution we call marriage is not to be entered into casually, but through thought and prayer and dedication. This isn't a date to the prom. This is a lifelong commitment through the good times and the not-so-good times. And what I usually tell the young couple before me, through the good decades and the not-so-good decades. <laughs> when describing marriage to young couples, we pastors talk about the difference between a contract and a covenant. A contract being a mutual agreement between two people recognized by the government. But a covenant, a covenant is between three entities, husband, wife, and God Almighty. You see, Scripture tells us that a cord or a rope made of three cords is not easily broken. For when working and pulling together, you want the Lord Jesus Christ woven in and out of your life so that together the three of you are pulling that load. In the Lutheran wedding service, oh, about midway through, just after the sermon, that would be the part that nobody really pays attention to, especially those getting married. The pastor turns to the bride and groom and he asks them to commit to one another, to recite vows or pledges to one another. And as those in attendance, to be their witness. Here is where they commit to working through the easy stuff and the tough stuff, the smooth and the plain, through wellness and sickness, through plenty and scarcity. The pastor says... In the presence of God and these witnesses, do you take this man, this woman, to be your husband, your wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do you part? And together they say, I 
do? To which the pastor says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus had some very specific words on marriage. As we read from gospel today, the gospel of Mark, when some Pharisees questioned Jesus on the topic of divorce, he too delivered a very, I would say, back-to-basics message. Jesus reminded them that in the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, and for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. No longer one, but two, no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, he commits adult, she commits adultery against him. God's plan is for couples, man and woman, to live together in marriage, to share their love, their emotional and physical love. They're nurturing and mutual support for the purpose of raising a family, if God wills. His intent is that we not live like animals, wandering here and there without commitment or purpose. Marriage is for the mutual pleasure and support for the procreation of children. For it is through the family that the Holy Spirit extends the faith to the next generation. Before the pandemic, I can tell you many times people would ask me, Pastor, why are the pews so vacant? And one reason is we're not having as many children as we used to have. In Psalm 127, we hear, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. And blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Marriage is a gift, a blessing, an opportunity, blessed by our Creator and not something we enter into and dismiss quickly. Now certainly there are times when marriages come to an end, but not without trial and prayer and efforts towards reconciliation. But when there is abuse or disloyalty or abandonment, marriages disintegrate. May God bless those people whose marriages find their end. Jesus' commitment to us, his unbelieving and misbehaving people, is love. And he loves us enough to forgive us and trust us despite our doubt and unfaithfulness, our selfishness. In our marriages, we seek to live and love like him. The symbol of our love, of course, is the ring. It has no corners, no beginning, no end, no edges. It is a continuous circle representative of God's love for us. It's a, po a very popular Christian symbol, and we use it in our, um, our own symbolism in this church and have for generations. And just before the pastor passes the ring to the 
husband and wife, he holds them up in his hand and he says, Heavenly Father, bless these rings, set them apart as a visible sign of this couple's love. And as you have loved them from eternity, may their love for each other be enduring as well. Well, since we're talking about back to basics, we can't leave Martin Luther out of the picture. And this picture is a little bit deceiving. Here we have Martin and Katharina. They're both about the same age in that picture. Luther was much older, almost 20 years older than his beautiful bride when they married. Luther wrote a lot about marriage. He saw marriage as the fundamental building block of society. It's where parents taught their children the faith and become the, the, um, the keys of society by bringing up honest Christian children. And to paraphrase Luther, he said this, The family is the basic unit of the village, and without control in the family, you cannot control the village. And if you cannot control the village, you cannot control the kingdom. The family is the root of society, and without good roots, you cannot produce good fruit. He also recognizes the challenges husbands and wives will face in life. And he says, forgive each other often because marriage is full of endless offenses. This profound mystery we call marriage is full of surprises and challenge. Yet we are called to serve our spouses with love and devotion. As Jesus is our example and guide, as he loved his bride, even when she was unfaithful, when she pushed him away, when she swore at him, when she cursed at him, when she reviled him, he loves her, the church, anyway. Provides for her, leads her, forgives her, and was even willing to sacrifice himself for her. And when she, the church, thought all was lost, he came back from the dead and promised a life that would never end. And he even hosts a regular meal for her, reminding us of the marriage feast to come in heaven. You may recall that Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding feast in Canaan. Here, this symbolic gesture, perhaps, is for us all to take note. He starts his ministry by blessing marriage and this holy estate, this union of husband and wife. Yes, marriage is a mystery and perhaps the closest thing to heaven on earth and can be a very difficult experience if we are selfish and not loving or forgiving. We love a living and forgiving God who is the bridegroom of the church and we do seek to follow his example. At the very end of a wedding ceremony, the pastor offers one final prayer. He says, Almighty God, strengthen them in faithfulness and love towards one another, 
Sustain and defend them in trial and temptation. Help them to live in faith towards you and in the communion of your holy church. And then he looks at them and says, I now pronounce you husband and wife in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Friends, I pray for the peace and unity in all our marriages. Amen. In the name of Jesus, amen.